The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. We return today to our Kingdom of God series, where we've been looking at the Articles of Faith of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We've been dealing with Article 7, which reads as follows. We believe that baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ, and true believers in Him are the only subjects Christ instituted these ordinances for, and that baptism by immersion is the only proper mode. Over the past few weeks, we've been dealing with baptism. Today, we turn to the topic of the Lord's Supper, or the communion service. We see that the communion service was instituted by Christ at the last Passover ever observed. In this short, sweet, intimate service, we find all that's necessary to commemorate the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end of the service, he institutes a practice that will help us to be able to love and care for each other and forgive and forbear one another in his gospel kingdom until he returns. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. The Church of Christ we have today a blessing from the Lord. He
This morning, if you would, turn to Mark, the 14th chapter. And we're going to go back to our Kingdom of God series that we've been on for some time as we deal now, continue to deal, with Article 7 of the Articles of Faith of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. You may recall that we've been on the topic of baptism. But Article 7 deals not only with baptism, but also with the Lord's Supper. In fact, Article 7 reads as follows. We believe that baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ, and true believers in Him are the only subjects Christ instituted these ordinances for, and that baptism by immersion is the only proper mode. This morning I want us to look at the communion service, the Lord's Supper. And I want us to understand just how important that service is. Now we've already dealt with the fact that these are ordinances and not sacraments. Sacraments are what the Catholic Church and some other churches call this, and they, they, they somehow believe that this is a means of grace being imparted to those who participate in it. We don't believe that. This isn't a means of grace. There are no means of grace. Grace comes solely by the sovereign power of God. But there is a sweet, special spirit and special blessings that apply when we participate in these ordinances the way they're supposed to be done. And so we've come to the Lord's Supper. And we need to understand where we are in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are at a point where the storm clouds of Calvary are gathering on the horizon. The disciples don't understand what's happening. They don't know what's coming. They, in fact, they try to rebuke him whenever he talks about his crucifixion. But he knows. He knows. And here in Mark chapter 14, we're beginning, uh, he's about to begin to participate in the last Passover. And I mean that exactly like I said it. I realize there are many uh, in the Jewish faith today who still um, participate in a Passover week and a Passover service. But I'm telling you, based on the authority of the Word of God, this right here was the last Passover. Because after this, the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled to a jot and to a tittle every symbolic aspect of the law and, in fact, every substantive aspect of the law. And here we see him on the, on the first day of the Passover, verse 12 of chapter 14. It says, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the goodman of the house, the master saith, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared, there make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them. And they made ready the Passover, and in the evening he cometh with the twelve, and as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful, and to say unto him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? 
And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been better, or good, good were it for that man, if he had never been born. And now we come to something new and something different. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it and gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup when he had given thanks. He gave it unto them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. As I said, we are dealing with the end of the Passover and the beginning of something new. For thousands of years, the Jewish format for worship had been established with little to no modifications. Some modifications God had, had imposed, but most of them man had instituted. But the time had now come for a new service. So I want you to think about what this service, we're going to talk about it in, as we go through this message, what it represents. It represents the most significant event in the history of the world. It represents the most important thing that has ever happened in the history of of the universe. So what kind of commemoration service could he possibly institute? What could he come up with? What, what would it be that would uh, show forth such a, such a, a magnificent moment? Maybe, maybe something with uh, fireworks and loud music and some kind of impressive service that would shock and awe everyone. Is that Surely that's the kind of thing I would come up with. You know, if you ask me to come up with some kind of a, an event that would memorialize something that was important, you know, if you think about 4th of July. What do we do on the 4th of July? Generally speaking, we have huge fireworks celebrations. Several years ago, we were in Bar Harbor, Maine on the 4th of July for Ashley's uh, senior trip. And they had an, such an impressive fireworks show and music and and just crowds gathered and and it was loud and it was impressive years before that we went to be with brother david crawford for their meeting and we went on over on the fourth of july to saint augustine and man that was the most impressive uh, thing i've ever seen sitting there watching the fireworks over the bay what could we have what could we do to commemorate the most important event that's ever happened we see the lord doesn't think like we do his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. What did he do? Did he come up with some elaborate, complicated service? Absolutely not. He came up with a service that was profoundly simple and yet simply profound. The simple observance of the communion meal. And I want to talk about that as we go forward. It's not complicated. It's not elaborate. But oh, how profound it is. Notice that what happened in the setting here is it's the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread. Passover, as you recall, was a commemoration of the deliverance of the firstborn of Israel from the death angel. When you go back to Exodus chapter 12 and read about it, probably the most significant statement in there is found in verse 13 where he says, when I see the blood 
I will pass over you. Now, certainly that was a literal application there. They, they slew a lamb, and they put his blood on the doorposts and the lintels of the door. And, and when the death angel came through, the last plague on the, on the land of Egypt was that the firstborn would be slain. When the death angel came through, when he saw the blood, he passed over that home, and, and he left them alone. They were spared the great wrath of God there. What does that point us to? <laughs> Clearly, it points us to the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, he confirms that by instituting the communion service right here in conjunction with the Passover. And, and, and you know, that's exactly what God does when he sees us, when he looks upon us. He doesn't look upon us and say, oh, you've done pretty good in your life. You've held out. You've held on. You've let go of some things. You've prayed through. You've been, you've been diligent in your, in your spiritual walk. I don't know about you. I can't point to one day in my life where I've been really, truly diligent in my spiritual walk. The idea that I could somehow, it's up to me to be able to, to make myself worthy for heaven. The idea that I, I'm going to be uh, 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 held to account and, and he's going to somehow weigh out my good deeds and my bad deeds and, and hopefully my good deeds will outweigh him. I have no hope. There is no hopefully for me there. Because I know myself too well. And I think if you'll be honest with yourself, you'll never be satisfied with the way you live and the way you walk. But see, it wasn't about how good a people the children of Israel were. As a matter of fact, they were a uh, stubborn and they were a, a headstrong people. They hadn't been faithful. They, they hadn't always done right. And you go see them in the wilderness there as they travel. They're always doing right for a little while and then sliding right back to where they were saying, Oh, I wish we could go back to Egypt. <laughs> But praise God, it wasn't how good the father had been or how faithful the mother had been or how good kids the, that they were. It was whether the blood was applied or not. The blood is what counted in that day. And beloved, I want to say to you this morning that the blood is what counts now. And that blood of the, on the doorpost is, was pointing them, even though they might not have understood it at the time, it was pointing them to this very time that we're dealing with here when the Lord Jesus Christ would come as the perfect sacrifice and would put away the sins of his people. And oh, praise God, through the Holy Ghost, the Spirit, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ has been applied to the doorposts of the hearts of every single child of God. <laughs> Here at this time of the last Passover, Jesus gave them something that would remind them that. When we commemorate the death of the Lord Jesus Christ through this, pass through this communion meal, that's what we're to be looking to. And notice where he observed this. Notice where it was. We've already read that he sent them, he sent his disciples ahead. And the place where he was going to observe this first communion service was a little upper room. A little upper room. It wasn't open to the whole world. It was an intimate setting with his closest disciples the apostles in a small upper room in Jerusalem. Beloved, the communion service is an intimate service for the local assembly of called out believers. It's, it's an intimate service. It's, it's for those who have been baptized of like faith and practice. We don't want to get into the close communion tonight, today. The Lord willing, we'll come back to that. But just understand, 
when we observe the communion service, and most all of you here have, have that are members have observed it with us, it's a sweet, special, intimate service. And that's the way it's supposed to be, done without flourish or fanfare, done with the local assembly here in a reverent and reflective manner. Notice it was very deliberate, very thoughtful. As they did eat, verse 22, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is dealing here with some errors that the Corinthians were committing as they observed the communion service. Notice in verse 17, he said, now this, in this I declare unto you, I praise you not that you come together not for the better, but for the worst. And he goes on to talk about divisions. He's verse 18, he said, first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. And he goes on down in verse 20, he says, when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Now, let me stop just right here and say, I know we call it the Lord's Supper, and there's nothing wrong with calling it that. But what they didn't understand was they... they they were treating it as, as a big party type atmosphere with a big fellowship meal uh, that we, we might call it today where everybody was, was uh, bringing their own food. Notice it says, in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper. One is hungry, another is drunken. What, have ye not houses to eat and to drink in or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. This is how not to do it. <laughs> he says, it's not a big party. It's not a situation where the richest among you bring a big elaborate meal and then the, the poorest just have to go hungry. It's a time for the whole church to come together. And, and there's not to be divisions among you. Now, I understand we don't always agree on everything. That's not what he's talking about. But in the Corinthian church, there were some serious divisions. There were even some people that didn't believe in the resurrection there. I want to say to you this morning, on the authority of the Word of God, if Zion Church had some theological divisions going on, we should not observe the Lord's Supper until we get those settled. Now, you don't agree with the color of the carpet or the, or the uh, temperature in the room or something like that. That's, you know, people have disagreements over that. As long as we're loving one another through the disagreements, it's no problem. But here, the Corinthians were treating this service lightly you notice that when jesus instituted it it was in this quiet upper room this intimate setting with his disciples and if you turn sometime over you don't have to today but make a note of luke chapter 22 where we read about luke's account of the of the institution of the communion service in verse 15 he said unto them with desire i have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. In the Greek there, that's basically just the same word repeated, desire and desire. It's a double up on the word desire, and that just emphasizes how much the Lord longed for this service and was looking forward to it. It meant something to God. It meant something to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it ought to mean something to us. It ought to be something that we make a priority in our lives because he said, I have wanted to do this with you with a great longing desire. And notice it's before 
I suffer. You know what the next step from the communion service is? It's the path to Gethsemane. He's going down to Gethsemane where he's going to be praying to God. He's going to be in great agony of soul, great passion of spirit. And, and you remember he told those disciples, said, wait and watch. And what'd they do? They fell asleep. <laughs> they fell asleep. You know, I'm sorry to say I identify with that. I've tried to pray so many nights. Last night I was praying and I must have prayed all night, Brother Glennon, because I went to sleep praying and I woke up praying. So <laughs> I couldn't get through with my prayer. I woke up thinking about the thing that I fell asleep thinking about night, last night. I just couldn't hang, out, hang in there, you know. I just couldn't stay awake. I should have stayed up. If, if the Lord, for what, he did, for what he did for me, I should be willing to stay up all night in prayer, in communion with him. But I, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> This meant something to God. This meant something to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it ought to mean something to us. So what does it mean? Let's look at the symbolism of it. Let's look at what, it's, what it stands for. Notice, first of all, he took the bread. The bread. The bread symbolizes the broken body of Christ. You'll recall, those of you that have either participated in or attended one of our communion services, that, that we have unleavened bread without yeast, without leavening in it, not soda crackers. And we take that bread, it's in a sheet, and, and whoever's administering it, whichever preacher or me or Brother Buddy or some visiting preacher that's administering it, we break it, and we break it apart so each person can have a part of it. That's the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Back over in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. 24, Paul quotes the Lord where he says, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. He took it and he broke it. One of the most important symbolisms of this service is the breaking of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you just look on over a few verses in chapter 14, you're going to see in verse 65 that there were those who spit on his face and to cover his, spit on him and to cover his face and to buffet him. To buffet means to strike with a fist. They were beating him. In chapter 15 of Mark, in verse 15, we're told that Pilate released Barabbas and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. To scourge means to lash with a whip. This whip that we're talking about was designed to remove the flesh. I want to read you a little bit of something that I looked up about scourging. This is what it says about scourging in the Roman days. The Roman flagrum was designed to quickly remove the flesh from the body of a victim. The Romans would scourge a condemned criminal before he was put to dead, death. It was a, this, this flagrum or, or this whip was a short whip made of two or three leather thongs or ropes connected to a handle. The leather thongs were knotted with a number of small pieces of metal, usually iron or zinc or something like that. They were attached at various intervals. Scourging would quickly remove the skin. According to history, the punishment of a slave was particularly dreadful. The leather was knotted with bones or heavy indented pieces of bronze. Sometimes the Roman scourge contained a hook at the end and was given the terrifying name scorpion. The criminal was made to stoop, which would make deeper lashes from the shoulders to the waist. And according to Jewish law, the number of stripes was 40 less one, but the 
but the Romans had no such law. You see, that's the kind of thing that was done to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was delivered to scourging. He was, you know, that's what it says over in, um, over in Psalm 129 and verse 3. You remember where it, you know, the, the, the Bible is so accurate, even in prospect. In Psalm 129 and verse 3, we read, The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. And this was a forecast of what was going to happen to the Lord Jesus Christ with, that, with that, that scourge, that Roman scourge, that Roman whip that would lash him. And it was just like a plower plowing a row out in the, out in the ground. It made long furrows on his back. We're told in Isaiah chapter 52, and I'm going to turn there and read it to get it right. In Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 14. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. You know what he's saying here to us? He's basically saying to us, all these pictures you see, these paintings you see of Jesus on the cross with a halo around his head and this beautiful visage of his face looking so serene and peaceful, that's baloney. That's baloney. Let me tell you something you would have probably thrown up if you had looked at the Lord Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. It would have caused you to get sick to your stomach. Astonished, that word astonished there means appalled or stunned. You would have been shocked. If we had been there to look up at him and seen him, and think about this, his mama was there, his mother and three other women, and, and, and at least one disciple was there, John, and we, we see all the rest of them forsook him and fled, but this, his body was broken. His body was not some beautiful, preserved image. It was broken for us. His visage was so marred. It was disfigured. It was corrupted beyond recognition, you see. And over in chapter 53 of Isaiah, which I sometimes refer to the gospel according to Isaiah, notice what it says in verse 5. But he was wounded. And that word literally means tormented. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see... The Lord Jesus Christ's body was broken. We don't have time to go over to Psalm 22, but I encourage you to read it sometime. It talks about his heart, his, his insides turning to water. It talks about him uh, being just destroyed from a physical standpoint. I want to say to you, I believe this. I don't, I'm not going to be adamant about it, but I believe that he was tortured more than any man has ever been tortured physically. Because any of the rest of us would have died from all the torture, but they could not kill him. They did, yes, they with wicked hands slew him, but only at the point where he was ready to give up his life. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 
1847 at gmail.com or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J C H R I S M C C O O L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you, is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.